what we're doing with, with ShapeUp and what we've been doing at Basecamp for many years now is we're not looking at it as a programmer problem. We're looking at it as a integration problem. How do we bring programmers and designers and strategy together so that they all have the same understanding and they're under the same constraints and then they get something finished together? Project A Podcast. Hi, welcome to a new episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Tamala Avari. I'm CPO at Project A Ventures. And today we want to talk about ShapeUp. ShapeUp is a new approach to IT project management created at Basecamp by Ryan Singer and gives an alternative to Scrum, Kanban, or any other classical project management methods. I have two very special guests with me today. So on the one side, I have David Ahrens, who is product manager at Store2B, and he implemented ShapeUp. And on the other side, the creator of ShapeUp, Ryan Singer. Hi. Hey there. All right, let's jump right in. Um, David, what is Store2B and when did you start to implement ShapeUp? Yeah, sure. Uh, so just in like a very short summary, Store2B is a booking platform for live marketing locations. Um, so if a brand wants to run offline promotional events in, say, a shopping mall or an airport, they can find those spaces with us. And uh, we've been kind of trying shape up uh, seriously since the summer of this year and had our first touch points, I think, with it uh, end of last year already. Uh, back then it wasn't called shape up yet, but... Um, but yeah, that's that's how long we've been kind of following this this approach. Right. Are you happy so far? Uh, bottom line, yes, uh, definitely. Um, so it solved kind of our our biggest pain in that we we're now shipping what we want to ship when we want to ship it. Um, and yes, that's great. I think we still have uh, some things to learn. Uh, just now, for example. Um, we're towards the end of a cycle and we've run now one and a half weeks into cooldown. And I, I specifically in this case, it's an issue around shaping and finding a good scope for a project that's, mm -hmm. that we're still struggling with. Um, but yes, overall, uh, very happy. Uh, and and yeah, it's, it's changed right. our way. Cool. So before we like explain a little bit more what these like words means, like cycle or cooldown, um, Ryan, so when did you start to think about reinventing project management? What motivated you to uh, think about something new to go off script and not using like, like this classical agile approach like Scrum and Kanban? Well, in a way, uh, we were off script from the beginning um, because uh, Jason and David always had kind of a unique point of view. And I started working with them on the first version of Basecamp back in 2003. And uh, when we were working together, we, we aren't special. Anybody who's very, very small, who's, who's just starting out, doesn't really need a, a strict process, you know, because you have so much uh, natural understanding just between the three of you and, or the two of you or whatever it is when you start. And you just talk to each other and things just kind of happen. You know, it's not, you don't need so much structure. It's when you start to take on more people, when you start to take on, more challenging projects uh, that you start to say, okay, wait a minute, how, how, how are we actually working here? What's the process, right? And um, the first time that we really needed to formalize what we were doing, well, first I should say, 
um, a lot of the spirit of Shape Up was there from the very beginning. So there was this emphasis on being very clear about what it is that we're going to spend our time on mm -hmm. and bringing together the design and the development very early so that we get to something real. We even wrote a book about it called Getting Real at that time in those early mm -hmm. days, right? And uh, David was only working 10 hours a week at that time uh, doing the programming for Basecamp. So we had to use that time very, very consciously. When we started to formalize what we were doing was actually in maybe five years later in 2009, we by that point had a few different products and we actually wanted to unify all of these products into a kind of single sign-on and a unified billing for all of them. And it was a big infrastructure project and we needed some way to manage the complexity of all of that. And that's where a lot of the kind of scoping techniques that are in the book came out, the techniques mm -hmm. of breaking the work down into different pieces that can be finished independently and integrating those independently. Uh, and then finally, um, it was when we started to grow in terms of the number of people that we realized that a lot of the judgment calls that we were making, you know, about, about when to put more time into something, about what order to tackle problems, what to do first and what to do later. A lot of these things we had never figured out how to explain, but they were something that we had sort of understood just mm -hmm. through our culture, right? Uh, but then when we started to hire new people, we found that we didn't know how to tell them. <laughs> we didn't know how to explain what we were doing, right? And this is where things like the hill chart and being very explicit about about bets and, and what is shaped versus unshaped work and, and what does it mean to tackle the knowns versus the unknowns and things like that. A lot of this language came out of trying to, to articulate what we had understood intuitively in a way that, that we could now formalize after we had grown. All right, maybe for the audience who doesn't know about ShapeUp, can you explain us briefly what, what is the core idea of ShapeUp? How does it work in a, in a, in a nutshell? Yeah, basically there are three main parts to the, to the concept. The basic principle behind the whole thing is we don't want to give open-ended work to a team under a deadline. If a team has a limited amount of time to do something and we give them a problem that is too open or too unshaped, then they are not going to be in a good position to actually deliver and finish it on time. And we aren't going to have clear expectations about what, what, what it even means to be done, right? So the first thing is, is what we call shaping. This means that we actually do work before we, give the, before we give a project to a team to answer the hard questions and to, to have a clear concept about the basic points of the solution, right? So we, do, we don't give the team the discovery. We actually solve the basic outlines of the approach before we give it to a team. And this way, they can be sure that they're not going to get stuck on, on, a, on some kind of an unsolvable problem or something that is much more complicated than we thought or that sort of a thing. So the first thing is we shape the work. The second thing is we, we make bets on the work. So we view the work as risky. And so instead of planning what's going to happen, we talk about betting. And the way that we bet is we bet six weeks at a time. So we think that two weeks is not long enough to actually get something meaningful done. Now, sometimes we do have small projects that can be done within two weeks, but most of the interesting projects that really move the product forward, they take six weeks. 
And we can't really see further than six weeks ahead. So for us, that's the right number. So we make, we make bets on the work that we've already shaped. And we, make, we do that in longer time frames, six weeks. That's the second point. And then the third point is that when the teams actually start the project, so we've shaped the work, we've made the bet, and now the team has six weeks to go and do it, we don't assign them any tasks. We just give them the whole project and the shaped work and the time box of the six weeks. It's like a, a, a wall around all of the unknowns and then they fill in the inside. And the teams of designers and programmers, they collaborate together to decide what the tasks are, to figure out what the work is, and to come up with the best way to deliver the work. Mm -hmm. All right, so you mentioned a couple of things, maybe, maybe some more dedicated questions to that. Um, you mentioned that um, one of the core ideas is to scope out the entire project before you give it to the developers. Um, but you probably don't mean that you give them say, hey, build this feature in exact that way, right? Yeah, we're not giving you, them. You can't meet the deadlines, right? If you have like exactly, 100% exactly. scope and 100% fixed time. Exactly, exactly. So we are working completely within the realm here of fixed time variable scope. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're introducing another concept here that's very important, which is the level of abstraction. So if the work that we, that we define upfront is too abstract, like we say, you know, uh, go add a calendar feature, mm -hmm. then, then the team doesn't have enough direction. So it's going to be very difficult for them to make the trade-offs and the decisions they need to make to actually finish in six weeks. On the other hand, if we're too specific and we say it must look exactly like this and it must work exactly like this, then we're making a lot of predictions about how it's going to fit together that we can't actually make upfront, right? Because we don't, understand all the interdependencies deeply enough to make that prediction in the beginning. So what we want to do is we want to define the work at a level of abstraction that's not too vague and it's not too concrete. So basically what we're doing is we're giving the, 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 the key elements of the solution. So we're saying when you, when you go build the calendar feature, we're not doing a, a drag and drop interface. We're not doing a day view. We're not doing a week view. We're not doing invitations, mm -hmm. right? And what we are doing is, is you know, we're, we're like, there's an example in the book where we're going to show, indicate days with events like this, and we're going to navigate between the details of what's happening on a day like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happens is we're, we're putting boundaries on the solution, and we're being specific enough that the team understands exactly what they have to go figure out. But we're not giving them high fidelity mockups. We're not giving them a bullet point list of every little thing that it has to do. We're just solving the most important questions so that everyone can become clear on what is the idea that we're actually dedicating this time toward building and what, how do we know when it's done? What will it look like when it's done? I mean, this brings me to my, to my next question. You've been talking about like different levels of abstraction um, before you give it over to, to, to a developer. Is that something that you, where you have some kind of like general metrics where you can figure out I'm a little bit too detailed or I'm a little bit too abstract? Or is it something that you can, that you need to learn over time once you, you had your, let's say, third, fourth cycle? David, what is, what is your take on that? Um, so I can only speak from, from our brief experience um, on that. And um, I do think that um, the tools that Ryan proposes in the book, like breadboarding and fat, fat marker sketches are helpful 
uh, guardrails in not going too deep um, or too broad in terms of specificness. Um, and I, uh, but that's not to say that we've never, since we started uh, Shape Up, also still used like hyphy designs going into a, a cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I mean, I think we'll get into uh, the specifics of, of our experience in, in a bit. But yeah, from, from a basic um, toolage point of view, I think the, the ones that Ryan proposes in the book are a very, very good starting mm -hmm. point uh, to kind of put up the guardrails and not to go too, too much into either direction. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what do you think about that one? I mean, like you, you've created this. Um, is it something that um, you figured out that other teams are struggling with to Absolutely. find the right balance? Or is it For something sure. that's like... Well, actually, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm discovering as I talk to teams is that most teams have not thought about this question very carefully. They have not thought about how abstract the definition of the work is. So generally, what either happens is the work is described in a few words or the work is described in high fidelity mockups. Mm -hmm. And there's very little, you don't see very much in between. So that's why I introduced these, um, this notation in the book called breadboarding. Mm -hmm. And this, the other, the other thing that David mentioned is the, the fat marker sketches. These are two tools where if you, if you use the breadboard or you, you define the work in a fat marker sketch, it's forcing you to provide more structure and more detail than if you were just using words. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because there's rules for how you make a, you know, a breadboard or a fat marker sketch, it, 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 it avoids that certain level of fidelity that you would get into a high fidelity mock. You know, the problem with creating a wireframe is you give the wireframe to the team and nobody can unsee the details that you've already specified, right? Mm -hmm. If you, it's, it's like you've probably had a whiteboarding session where somebody draws a, a, a screen and they put a sidebar on the side, right? And then for some reason, for the rest of the day, everyone always draws a sidebar on the side just because somebody did it once, right? And we don't, when, that's what happens when we introduce detail too early. We lose our freedom to, to find other solutions. So for example, when we do the breadboarding, the breadboard shows the name of the, of the page that you're on or the name of the, the, the section of the page that you're looking at and the components that you see there, but there's mm -hmm. no visual design. Mm -hmm. And this, this gives more latitude and freedom so that when you give that on to, to, the, to the designers and programmers who are going to do the real work, they're making the decisions about the right way to do that, but they're not making all of the decisions, right? You've, you've made some decisions about how things should connect and which affordances need to be there, but there's still enough latitude for them to use their expertise to find the best way to, to actually realize that. This is very interesting. Um, how do you incorporate then the research part, everything that's covered in product discovery is it all happening before you actually do the batting or does this even happen on the side while you're working on figuring out the problem? Yes. So the thing about research is that whenever you're doing research, it means that you don't know you have, you have a major unknown, right? There's some question you're trying to solve. Yeah. And so the type of work that happens with research, the timing of the work is very different. You, you can't have a research problem and then say, I promise you by, by next week, I will have an answer, right? It's the nature of research that you, you really don't know. And as you do the research, you discover things that you say, ah, I understand that. That's a good idea. That's something we can work with. And you turn that into a project, right? 
So there's a, there's a way that research, research is very open-ended mm-hmm. and it's very unpredictable. And what we want is we want to separate these two types of work, the unpredicted open-ended exploratory work and the, the, the work where we are actually committing resources and expecting to ship something. Right. So um, basically the way we think about it is that if we, if we have not been able to shape an idea yet into a, a clear project with clear boundaries that we could safely give to a team, uh, then all of that is happening uh, before a bet, or you could say outside of a cycle. And sometimes we know what we want to do, and we just have to do the work of, of resolving some of the unknowns in the solution before we give it to a team. Mm-hmm. Other times, we have some customer request or s- some idea for a feature, and we really don't know what's important, what's not important, how to approach the problem. So for example, this, this calendar example in the book, mm-hmm. we, we knew that customers were asking for a calendar, but we also knew that we did not want to build a whole calendar. And we didn't understand the problem enough to figure out how could we build a little bit of a calendar? What would be the right pieces of a calendar? And what would be the right pieces to, to, to leave out? Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, we need to do, to do research, right? So I, I like to think of the research as an input to the shaping process. Mm-hmm. And the shaping process is an input to betting. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't bet unless it's shaped. And we can't shape unless we understand the problem. And sometimes we understand the problem from our own experience and sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. And then when we don't, we have to go out and do some research. Maybe David, I mean, like you started with this one. If I say like, okay, this sounds amazing, right? Like it sounds like um, concentrated work, um, sounds like really deliver- delivering what matters. How did you actually get started on this one? What are the main problems that you face up front? Mm-hmm. How what was your experience actually like implementing shape up yeah um so i think the big uh, prerequisite for us was we were feeling a lot of pain kind of around the way we had been working and uh, that's actually kind of one of the themes that emerged when i presented our uh move from scrum to shape up um at the meter at a meetup here at project a um where some of the feedback was well, your scrum probably wasn't like our scrum is kind of implying that, uh, you know, they, they are making scrum work. And I, I couldn't, you know, really respond in that moment. You know, it's fair. <laughs> if, you, if you're happy and, you know, you, your, your team is happy and your business is healthy, then by all means. Uh, but for us, the starting point was just we were feeling the pain. We had been struggling kind of with projects that we estimated to take three sprints. Uh, they dragged on for five sprints. And, uh, you know, the, our default reaction would be to, uh, well, we, we got to finish, you know, so, so just let's continue. Um, and similarly, uh, there was this feeling around, or, or our, our default mode of operation was, you know, we had a sprint and we never got through all the tasks in a sprint. And so the default was to just move them to the next sprint project. And then you never mm-hmm. started with a blank slate, but you always had this uh, kind of these things that you were dragging along. And then from two weeks um, that you want to uh, do work in, you know, you only have one and a half 
to start with. And so those, those were some of the problems we, we were experiencing. So uh, kind of everybody in the team was very open to anything that would get us out of it. Um, and uh, yeah, having, having kind of uh, heard these ideas around how Basecamp works uh, back in late uh, 2018, um, I just brought that forward to the team kind of as a proposal. Uh, you know, we were planning to launch a new or relaunch an existing product uh, and rewrite it from scratch, kind of. And uh, so, so I asked, you know, can we do this with a team of uh, three developers uh, and a designer and me and just have us try this new way of working? Um, and I, I think that probably resonates with a lot of other teams that maybe you, Ryan, have talked to. In, in that you need this kind of pilot team All right. to get started. And you've been lucky that you had a, had a CEO that was saying, okay, right, David, let's try it out. Let's go for it rather than to, to like taking over features from one sprint to the other. Yes, totally. So I think air cover by kind of the leadership team was, was uh, also very, very important for us. Um, I mean, like, how did you get this one started? So you just like, you said like, okay, now I've got my team. Mm -hmm. Then you presented probably shape up let's say in a nutshell, or did you like give everyone, um, you know, like a book and said like, read it through and afterwards we're going to continue on this one. Like how, how did you get started there? Uh, no. So actually, I mean, the reality of things is usually kind of a bit more uh, complicated than that. So yes, I did put forward a proposal of uh, how we could work. I didn't explicitly refer to shape up, um, but uh, it had kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And then um, at the same time, some an engineer on the team uh, read an article, uh, I think it was on the Myro blog about a team at Slide that had been using ShapeUp and that kind of landed in our mm -hmm. uh, Slack channel. And I jumped on the chance of, oh, you know, an engineer is proposing this as well. You know, let's team up and uh, let's kind of carry forward this momentum. And then uh, what I think kind of what was the tipping point in the team to, to go all in on ShapeUp was uh, that then uh, we, we had some open questions um, about the kind of framework itself. And I reached out to Ryan on Twitter uh, and got on a call with him and two of our most senior engineers. And this exposure kind of by the engineers themselves to, to, the, uh, to the meta uh, helped win them over, and and I think engineering involvement uh, was then the thing that led us adopt it, uh, kind of across the board in, in the team. So it, I don't think for us it could have been something that product management man mandated to adopt. I think probably this could even be a big problem if you implement a project management methodology that is going beyond your entire team. I'm not sure what you, what your uh, experience is there, Ryan. Let's continue with um, like shape up and where to implement that one. Um, David told me, Ryan, that um, you're gathering feedback from a lot of people who are implementing shape up. Mm -hmm. um, and um, do you see some kind of like patterns, some specific industries where it's like, okay, this is could work out quite well for shape up or say like other industries probably not really fitting to this environment. I mean, like, I, I can hear, like, in, my, in the back of my voice, like, so many people would say, like, come on, six weeks without, like, the possibilities to steer in my, my personal top prior features, it's not going to work out for me. 
maybe you see already, you know, I mean, you probably know this topic, maybe not, but, <laughs> but uh, at least many product managers um, experienced this in the past. So do you see any, any like, like, yeah, as I said, like patterns or industries that, that, that are good, better fit to shape up, or is it like independent from that one? Mm, uh, we're seeing a lot of, I'm actually getting a lot of emails from teams who are really excited about the change from trying it. And uh, in terms of industry, I mean, they're all doing the same type of work. If, if they're building a product, it doesn't matter what industry they're in. You know, uh, they have the same problems. The big differentiator is, is, is what David said that um, is the team actually experiencing pain, feeling like mm -hmm. going two weeks at a time that somehow the projects are never ending, that uh, this feeling that there's no time to really think, you know, and to go deep on what is the right thing to do uh, and just feeling like there's a lot of waste and that they're not getting where they want to go. Um, and also, uh, it, there is a big aspect to how much is engineering involved, for sure. Because when you think about it, all of the existing methodology, all of that comes from engineering. None of these software development practices were originated by designers right? Or product managers, they all come from programmer culture, right? Mm -hmm. And what, what we're doing with, with ShapeUp and what we've been doing at Basecamp for many years now is we're not looking at it as a programmer problem. We're looking at it as a integration problem. How do we bring programmers and designers and strategy together so that they all have the same understanding and they're under the same constraints and then they get something finished together, mm -hmm. right? And um, so the, the existing structure of the company can have a lot to do with it, right? Um, we're seeing for sure that cases where there's a, there's a founder who, who sees the reason to make the change, and it's very easy. You know, the founder can just snap their fingers and say, we're going to try working this way, and then it's all right. There's other cases where uh, <laughs> my, my friend Chris described it as um, the CTO wants to wants to work on a on a on a year-long refactoring and the ceo has some crazy idea they came up with in the shower yesterday right and they're always fighting with each other about what should happen next right and then and then what what happens you know down at the bottom the the, the programmers and designers are getting all kinds of all kinds of requests to work on all kinds of different things that don't make sense right because there's different um different priorities at the top you know, so there's a big question of, of, of what's going on above you and how big is the company? There's different things there. The main thing that we're seeing, regardless of, of, of the size of the company, regardless of, of, you know, what this, what the culture coming from the CTO is versus, versus the, the, the more design side or the, the, the product side. The main thing is people are saying, we never had a language before to talk about these problems. Now that we see the difference between shaped and unshaped work, mm -hmm. and now that we start talking about what we're doing in terms of bets, now we can understand why certain projects were failing mm -hmm. or why we were getting into trouble with certain projects. And they start to have a much more clear discussion. Mm -hmm. Now, how far you can go depends on what's going on structurally, mm -hmm. you know, but just changing the conversation from, from, you know, how do we get all of these tickets done 
to what's known and what's unknown, what's shaped and what's not shaped, and how much time do we want to spend on different things? What bets do we want to make? Mm-hmm. This, 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 this totally changes the conversation. And what we're seeing is that in the teams that are able to, to make a change, that they're, the first thing that I hear over and over again is that the teams are much more clear. Everyone is more clear about what to do. And so there's this sense of like, we all know what we're doing, finally. The other thing is that people say that the teams are, are they keep using the word energized. Yeah. That, that somehow, you know, when, when, there's a, when there's a clear goal and you also have more freedom to work together to come up with the solution, now it, it actually, it's actually the deadline at the end of the six weeks and the and the and the open the open space before the six weeks where you have to solve it together, it makes everyone more willing to collaborate, you know. And so there's a lot more energy and a lot more interaction happening between design and development to to come to the right solution. The main obstacles I would say one thing to, to keep an eye out is there are times when shape up does not work, and um, there's really two main cases for that. The first is if you are working on a completely new product idea or you're working on some sort of a technology platform that you have never ever used before, mm-hmm. then what's going to happen is you are going to have to throw away everything that you've done, you know, two weeks in, right? Cause you have no idea what you want. You don't know what you're trying to do. You don't know how it all fits together. We call this R and D mode as opposed to production mode. And when, whenever we're in R and D mode on a new product, we, we can't set a clear expectation for what we're going to get out of the end of that six weeks. We need to have more of an exploratory period where the designers and the developers are just trying to stand some things up and spike some things and see what the right architecture is. But then we get to a point where we can see the basic architecture. We understand what the main features are and how they fit together. And then once you have that skeleton, now you can shape up some very specific bets for other people to do with confidence because you can see, okay, here's this, there's this space over here where that new feature is going to go. And this feature is going to be built on top of that feature over there, right? You have reference points. Yeah. So you need that. The other thing is that um, uh, shape up assumes that you, uh, I mean, how do we say this? Like in, in jargon, you know, business people would say you own the resources, but is this notion of, I don't know a better way to say it. Like, do you actually control the people's time or not? Right. If you have some programmers and some, and some designers and it's, and, and no one else controls their time, but you, uh, then, or, or that, you know, somebody controls their time. That person can make a bet and say, Mm -hmm. just go and work on this for six weeks. And that's all you have to do. And then you can be very certain that, they'll be able to get to a good place at the end of the six weeks and they'll reach what you want them to reach. Mm-hmm. However, if, if you, you depend on a third party, let's say you're working with a vendor and you need, you need uh, they have to go through some sort of a review before you can change the API or something like that, right? If you have an external dependency or a dependency internally on some other team that's scheduled by someone else, then what could happen is you could be two weeks in or three weeks into your six week cycle and you're just sitting around waiting for something from somebody. You have an external dependency, right? Mm -hmm. So those types of dependencies are going to, to, uh, they're they're not going to work. 
Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So um, that's the other sort of criteria. If you have a lot of external dependencies, then you should actually be on more of a Kanban type of a system because you can't predict the availability of things, right? Mm -hmm. But when you can predict the availability of your resources, then you can put them all together into one time box and give them a clearly shaped project. And then you can have a clear expectation of what will come out. Yeah. I think this is something to put an emphasis on. Like you, you mentioned it um, a couple of minutes ago that this idea of shape up is like built in an integrated way. I mean, you, I mean, how often do you see that, um, especially like in larger or more established companies where like still agile is something new or the management doesn't work really in an agile way, tries to implement this one, but then just like scope it down to IT. And then there's this constant fight of give me the roadmap, but yeah, we're working agile. We don't know exactly what we're building. So we, we don't know exactly. Yeah? Um, and like bringing the topics off, especially on the research, like giving enough time for this one up front is something that probably speaks to many, many product managers out there. Um, I think this is quite important. Um, One thing that I've seen when it comes to adopting yeah. is when you give teams projects that are too open-ended, then what happens is they have to constantly have meetings to debate with each other about what they should even be doing next, right? And you do, the, the, the projects go on and on and there's a lot of, you have to constantly, you have to have a daily stand-up then you have to have a weekly thing and you have to have all this grooming. You have to do all of this stuff to constantly figure out what is next right? And all of those things, those actually eat up a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. They not only take time when you're sitting in the meeting, you know, or that, that hour times three or four people is, is, is all those hours lost, but they, they, especially you lose time on the second order. People have to stop what they're doing, you know, lose their momentum, have the meeting, and then they have to build up again to get their momentum going. Right. And this turns into minimum a whole day that's lost for everybody and actually when you lose one day in a week it can mean that the productivity for the whole week has changed right mm -hmm. so um what i've seen some teams do is that first they actually do a little more shaping up front in their existing process mm -hmm. and this eliminates some of the open questions that they would have had to solve and then they they can take away some of these daily stand-up meetings or they can, they can basically say, we're going to, instead of meeting, meeting so often, we're going to be asynchronous by default, right? We're going to have more asynchronous conversation and less synchronous conversation. If you can make actually that change, you can actually free up a lot of time that you, that used to be wasted. And then you can use that freed up time to start to, to solve the, the harder problems about how, how to shape the project for next time or how to, you can create time to have the conversations with other people you need about restructuring the way that you make your bets, you know. But it, the thing is, time has to come from somewhere. So it helps to, to figure out where you are spending the time in a way that is wasteful mm -hmm. and, and cut down on that in order to give yourself the capacity to do some of these deeper changes. David, what would you say, I mean, We've been talking about, I mean, everyone has the same amount of time available, right? Um, would you now say after Shape Up that you are having the feeling that you're dedicating your time more to some kind of, let's say, meaningful work, like, like less in, let's say, meetings, coordination meetings, whatever things in there? Like, yeah. How uh, did this kind of affect you personally? Um, yeah, totally. Um, so actually... 
aside from all the engineering issues we were having with uh, with a more scrum type of process before, there also was this big feeling of we weren't maximally intentional about our product work. And, you know, it would just happen that, oh, it's Thursday again, we got to do sprint planning, you know, can you guys groom your backlog and pull stuff in until tomorrow? <clears throat> and that, yes, that was frustrating. And at the same time, I was kind of bogged down in, in a lot of what I would describe as delivery management uh, during that hmm. time. Um, and so, yes, um, right now, kind of after a, a project has been kicked off or the, the time between uh, when the cycle is ongoing, yes, I do feel a lot more calm to kind of think about what's next, to have a conversation with um, our CPO and our CE, uh, COO, who are kind of my two go-to people for talking about challenging kind of my ideas for what to do next and um, take their input and, uh, and start shaping a, a, a project, um, get internal stakeholders aligned early so they, don't, uh, they aren't faced with any surprises. And so I do think, yes, the, the kind of level of thoughtfulness that goes into our projects has increased dramatically since we made the switch to six-week cycles. And of course, in the beginning, kind of... Um, when we when we were talking about these changes inside the the kind of product and engineering organization, there were concerns about you know if we don't ship after two weeks constantly, will we be learning quickly enough, like gathering customer feedback on product usage quickly enough? And I mean, maybe Ryan, you can give like a more general answer to this uh, later. But just from our perspective as a B two B company with you know, uh, kind of a, a niche product that we're not having like a hundred thousand users each day on our website, and we're going to see an immediate uplift uh, by something we launch. You know, so actually putting more time into into making a meaningful project out of something, and then being done with that and starting again with a clean slate for the net, next project has um, has kind of both increased our output, and I would say also increased or better mm -hmm. the outcome of, mm -hmm. of what we've been working on, yes. So, like, just like moving fast doesn't mean to learn fast? No. What, what is your experience more there? More about, right? like, going slow to go fast in that sense, okay. I would say. I think that David said it very well when he talked about he, if feeling like it was more delivery management before. Because what happens is, if, if everyone above you is saying, yes, 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 to every, everything that comes up, and you have a big backlog of yeses, right? Of things that must happen that we should of course do, right? Then what happens is you have all of these things that you should be doing and you are constantly just trying to manage time, right? How can we get it all done? How can we get it all done, right? And you are squeezing every little minute to try and put a new task into it, right? And so it's time management. And, and the, the shift the shift that we're talking about here is that if we want to actually get the product where we want it to be, then we need to stop managing time and start managing scope, right? What is the right, not, not, not what are we going to do today and what are we going to do tomorrow, but what is the, what is the piece of work that's meaningful that's going to make a difference if we ship it in mm -hmm. the next X weeks, right? And, and that, that's a huge mind shift. 
I mean, this is this is very funny. I like read a joke a couple of weeks on uh, on Twitter ago. Say like, okay, like it's so easy to to convince a CEO to say like, okay, we need to hire ten more developers. Um, but to convince him to remove nine out of his ten features that is now on priority one, it's going to be <laughs> harder, right? And just like imagine this one, what happens? And and of course, I mean, we're we're, we're laughing about this one right now, but um, I mean, like we see many companies are running into this one. Like everyone is, of course, sure about his idea and what's gonna what needs to be done next. But yes, so like, this is about making trade-offs. Exactly. What's happening is when leadership doesn't make a trade-off yeah. and say, look, we only have so much time and we have more things that we would like to do than we have time, we have to choose something, right? Exactly. If they don't make that trade-off, that it all gets pushed down to the lowest levels. And then you have these four-hour grooming sessions. Yeah. Why are the grooming sessions so long and, 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 and why is it four hours of everyone sitting around trying to figure out what to do next? Because nobody above has made a decision about what's important. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's continue a little bit on, uh, on shape up and how to implement that one. I mean, um, we know the agile manifest and out of this one, we have the scrum Kanban approach. Um, there are like product managers who believe that, Scrum needs to be implemented by the book, otherwise it doesn't work. There are other people who say, yeah, we're going to do some Scrum barn, something in the middle, um, just what works out for us. How, how, how do you see that one, Ryan? Do you see like shape up as a toolbox to pick and choose from? Or is it something where you say like, this is a very holistic approach. Um, if you want to try it out, um, at least start with the full implementation and then adapt it. How, how do you see that? So it absolutely is a toolbox to begin with. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can take, for example, you could, you could just take the notion of shaping work so that the, you know, the work that you give to teams has less uncertainty in it or it's less open-ended. Every time we give teams work that is too open-ended, it ends up taking much longer than we expected and they end up spending time on things that are not the things that we actually wanted them to spend time on. And then the work comes back and you say, but well, that's not really what I wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it goes on. Right. So already just being more intentional about what the work is before we make the commitment is, is very, very helpful. This can happen on the design side of what is the actual concept that we want to pursue And it can also be done on the technical side, where if we have a piece of work that we think we're going to schedule, before we actually schedule it, we can take a very senior technical person and sit with them in a room for a couple hours and try and answer the most difficult questions or try and even spike a little bit of it or look at the existing code to see if the things are going to connect the way that we hope that they will, right? And just by catching some of those problems before we give it to, before we schedule it, This, this, this can save so much trouble, right? So even we just take that one technique. The other thing we see is people looking at the hill chart and saying, oh, we, we, we were never talking about what were the things that were known versus what were the things that were unknown. And then they start having completely different conversations yeah. um, or just the language of bets saying, uh-huh, we actually have not been intentional about how much time not how much time it's going to take, but how much time it's worth to us 
right? And thinking more in terms of the trade-offs of our time, right? And things like that. So there's a lot of different starting points where I think you can improve what you're doing and you can have deeper conversations with your team that, that touch the real problems and help you to help you to untangle what's going wrong, right? Sometimes a project goes too long and now you want to have some kind of a debrief and say, what, what happened, right? And if you have these, the language of all of this, then you can say, well, was it a performance problem in the team that if it was another team, that team would have been able to build it on time? Or was it a shaping problem that we gave the team some uh, uh, hole, there were holes in the work some unknowns in the work from the beginning, and it doesn't matter what team we gave it to, they would have had trouble, right? And then when you can make these separations, now you can take the feedback to the correct step or the correct person or the correct role and say, this is where we need to do something different next time. And then you're having a much more productive learning process. All of that said, wherever you start, then, then, then that makes you better. Um, everything does fit together into a, into a holistic system. Mm-hmm. If you if you want to have more time to, to, to shape the work, which is always difficult, right? Because nobody has time because we're all in meetings all the time and everything is crazy. Uh, if you want to have more time to shape the work, then the first step as a, let's say if you're a, a product manager or someone who's responsible for sort of guiding the product is you want the teams to be more autonomous, right? The way to make the teams more autonomous is to give them a a longer window so that they can actually finish something, but then to also give them what we call in the book, a circuit breaker. If we give them a a real wall where look at the end of the six weeks, if this isn't finished, it's canceled. There's no extension, right? We give them that wall, but then we also give them the responsibility that you get to figure out how to actually get it done in that time. Then what happens is, we are not managing what the team does day by day by day. The team is managing themselves Mm -hmm. because they have these very helpful constraints and forcing functions around them. Right? So when the team has, in order for the team to manage themselves, they have to know what to do. Right? So you have to actually shape the work before you give it to them. So we have to shape it. We have to give them more time. We have to also give them this time wall, this circuit breaker, so that they know that they have to work together inside of that time to solve it. And if they do that, then this again gives us more time to think more deeply about what to do in the next cycle, mm-hmm. because you don't have to constantly uh, you know, manage what they're doing, right? And then this becomes a virtuous circle. Yeah. Does giving more time also mean shipping slower? It's the opposite. It actually means shipping much more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for us, I, I mean, to add to this, I think the level of predictability is also something uh, very reassuring to have. Um, so, and, you know, as I said before, in the, in the kind of sprint scenario, you never knew if you were actually going to be done. And then the default was to continue. And, uh, and with this, um, kind of we've managed to feel confident about this is the time we give it and then by the end of it we'll be done and we'll be able to think about something new. But I do kind of want to touch on the toolbox versus holistic um, uh, question again uh, in sharing our experience that for us I think was what was very helpful was to kind of go all in on shape up in the sense that it created a, a lot of 
contrast to the way we were doing things before. And mm -hmm. just through that contrast, we were able to see kind of where, where it worked out of the box, so to say, or where we, we weren't there yet, you know, kind of in team structure and the way we had been working uh, uh, since. So I think, you know, if, if I could uh, encourage any other teams who are trying shape up, I would encourage them to, to try and go all in to create this contrast of what is working for you. That's a very, um, very good uh, message here to really um, show exactly, to show the people exactly where um, there's a difference. So they can like reflect it a little easier because I mean, every one of us is like learned behavior. It's very sometimes hard to change cultures. And I think this is where you can really show it to the people exactly what, where, it, where it comes down to. All right. Um, so where can I find more information about that one? Um, Ryan, so you, of course, like you've written a book about all these um, things. Um, you've developed this one over, like when you said like um, many, many years, right? So, so and with uh, what you put in the book, it's kind of clear that it came from actual problems that you had and not like a theoretical approach that you tried to bring it down there. Um, yeah, where, where can I find it? But you, you also published the book, right? Yeah, so the book is available online for free at basecamp.com slash shape up. Mm -hmm. And you can read it online there. You can download a PDF. Uh, we're working actually on other formats, uh, but those aren't quite ready yet. So we did some early prototyping. So in the beginning, uh, you know, I, I was, we published the web book and then I started getting emails from people and they all asked the same questions. So I added a new section to some chapter, right. And did some, uh, some iteration like that. Um, we're at a point now where the text is basically settled and I think, I think we're finished making changes to it. So we're ready to, to, we have just recently recorded an audio version and uh and we're looking into uh kindle and print formats uh going into 2020 okay. uh but but you can download the pdf at basecamp.com shape up and everything is there beginning to end for how to do it and then i would also just say that um people could follow me on twitter at rjs and uh, i i'm mentioning from time to time we do workshops on on it and uh sometimes i'm giving talks about it and just generally sort of exploring the subject and, 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 and talking about other people's experience with it and sharing nuances and things like that. So it's sort of the main subject of my Twitter feed lately, I would say. Cool. That, that's amazing. And I think this is also like a bold statement to put all the content online for free uh, to give product managers access to this one. And also like incorporating, the, incorporating this learning experience out of like having a book online, adapting it over time before continuing with this one. David, Ryan, thank you. Thank you very much um, for your time. I think it was a, like for me at least, it was a great pleasure to have you here. Um, if we can convince many companies to try it out um, and getting more karma product managers, I think this will help companies, help the people quite a lot. And thank you very much for that. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.